Our speaker this morning is Dr. Charles Whitfield. Uh, I want to tell a little story on him. Those of you who were in Sunday school this morning have already seen Dr. Whitfield and already heard him, and you no doubt think he looks like a very nice guy and a very, very gentle type of a person. And he is. But Dr. Whitfield was my favorite professor at uh, Midwestern Baptist College when I attended there. And uh, I, I say that primarily because, uh, well, I just liked him, but also because he, uh, he, he taught me a lot. Uh, I learned more from Dr. Whitfield, I think, than all the other professors I had there combined. But Dr. Whitfield was the kind of a professor that struck terror into the hearts of his students. I recall one particular day where uh, we walked into the class and we were cutting up and carrying on, as people do, and uh, he walked into the class. Dr. Whitfield never walked into the class and said, Hello? He never walked into the class with any kind of small talk. He walked in, he sat down, and he opened up his roster, and he said, Yes or no, I have completed my assignment. And then he proceeded to go down through the list of names. Mike Miller, no. Bob Davis, no. Judy Pyatt, no. And just down. And finally, after what seemed like an eternity, there was this Paul coming over the room, and Dr. Whitfield just quietly laid his pencil down, and he said, I'd better hear a yes pretty soon. And we just all were just in absolute awe of this guy. And it wasn't because he was frightening. It's because we respected him so much. And we learned so much from him. We didn't want to disappoint him. Dr. Whitfield pastored a church in Birmingham, Michigan that he founded. He pastored it for over 57 years. He also founded the Birmingham Bible Institute in 1973 and was an instructor and and leader there. Uh, I have been to the Holy Land three times with Dr. Whitfield, and I credit him entirely with my love for the Holy Land. I mean, I learned so much in just following him there and following in his footsteps through those streets. And some of you have had the privilege of going with him there as well. Uh, all these things are a reason for us to listen to him this morning. Uh, but I would encourage you to listen to him because, uh, well... He's just somebody that I respect tremendously. I consider him a mentor. I consider him a friend. So let's listen this morning to what God has laid on his heart. Dr. Charles Whitfield. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Bill. Bill and Beth Johnson are... Uh, Two of my dearest friends in the ministry, I thank the Lord for their lives, for their testimonies. We certainly miss uh, Beth, as you do, and um, Mrs. Whitfield sends her greetings uh, to this church and to Pastor, uh, and to those of you who we've come to know personally. This uh, is a fabulous work that you have done over these last few weeks and months. Uh, this uh, testimony, we came last night after having uh, dinner. The lights were all out and uh, were shown throughout the building. And just to see the perfection of the work that has been done in this edition is amazing. And how it fits in with something that was done uh, 
back in the 1800s uh, is fabulous. But as we, we looked, and we looked again this morning, and uh, the, the perfection that is there, and the, the painting, and everything is just outstanding. And you are to be so commended for this. And it may last for a long time. The Lord may come, and and if he does, then we can just be thankful as a people here that uh, you have done your best in this venture, and you have done it to the glory of God. So we commend you and commend you, Pastor, in this work here. Uh, my privilege. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to have with me Dale Gilchrist, and Dale is a member of our church there in Birmingham, and has been the navigator all the way down here. And thank you for coming. And I hope you get us home safely. I mentioned in the Sunday school that um, we have a daughter and son-in-law. Our son-in-law pastors a church in um, Richmond, Indiana. And the storm is such that all of those churches are closed there in that area this morning. And, and so... Uh, this is a wonderful tribute. I don't know if the snow has stopped or not. No, it hasn't. still coming down, but you are here. And thank you to all of you who had a part in it from, uh, from me. And uh, we appreciate that so very much. I want to talk some about uh, today about um, building and about the greatest carpenter who ever lived. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please uh, turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians? Thank you again, uh, Pastor, for your hospitality uh, to us, making us feel so welcome for the accommodations for the dinner last night at the uh, Amish restaurant, and we'll never eat again after that. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, thank you for that. Colossians chapter 1, and uh, beginning, please, with verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, says the Apostle Paul, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which is hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of his sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or Dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. 
And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And by Him all things. Uh, and He is uh, the head of the church, verse 18. The body, the church, who is beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Verse number 18, look at it again. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. And I think He has had that today in this church through your worship and your singing and your prayers. Now would you turn back, please, just to uh, 1 Corinthians for a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 9 to 11. For we are laborers together with Him. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But let every one, every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I want to leave one other verse with you, and that is Mark. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so it's Mark chapter 6. It's the title of the message this morning. Mark chapter 6, and verse number 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Is not this the carpenter? This is a highlight day for you. A structure that you built pleases the Lord. It's dedicated to the glory of God. In Matthew 16:18, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's called the body of Christ. More often than not, it meets in a building just like this. It always has. And this is a beautiful addition. Years ago, I read a sermon entitled, Why Was Christ a Carpenter? It was preached by Dr. Carl McIntyre, who was a pastor and radio preacher years ago out in the East. Why was Christ a carpenter? Jesus was not a shepherd by trade in growing up. Though he is the good shepherd and the great shepherd and the chief shepherd, growing up, he was not a shepherd. Jesus was not a fisherman. I like to go fishing with Jesus because he knew where all the fish were. He says, no, not there, over here. And they always caught a great number of fish. But he wasn't a fisherman by trade. 
Jesus was not a farmer. What an honorable trade that is. He knew, although although he knew about sowing, he knew about watering, he knew about harvesting. He's the Lord of the harvest, but Jesus, growing up, was not a farmer. Jesus was a carpenter growing up, Mark 6.3. Is not this the carpenter? And he was growing up in the home of his foster father, Joseph, and his mother, Mary, and his brothers and sisters. Some of you have been to the Holy Land. You've been to Nazareth Village, and you'll see there as one of the highlight places a carpenter shop like Jesus grew up in. Why was Christ a carpenter? He was a carpenter because he built the universe. And we have it in John chapter 1 and verse number 3. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He made this world. He made the universe. He made other universes. We have no idea how how expansive this creation is. And was. But all things were made by him. He he built the universe. He built the Bible. It's an eternal book. A book built to last the, the ages. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word shall not pass away. This is a perfect book. The psalmist says it. His word is perfect. My word is perfect. We have some translation matters that we deal with because it was translated by man. I'm not so concerned about the things that I don't understand. I'm concerned about the things that I do understand as I read this book of God. It's a perfect book and it will never pass away. And in eternity, people will stand before this book. Whether it be in heaven and we'll be taught things that we've never learned. Or whether someone, in God forbid, goes to hell. It will be this book that is referred to there. You heard the preaching. You heard the heart conviction. You saw how brief life can be, how unexpected death may come. You were warned by the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and by the truth of the Bible. And we'll be judged by the Bible. We'll be rewarded according to our efforts in Jesus Christ and for Him. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Last eve, I stood beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. Then looking in upon the floor, I saw old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many hammers have you had, said I? How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all those hammers so? Just one, said he, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. 
And so I thought the anvil of God's Word for ages skeptic blows have beat upon. Though the sound of falling blows was heard, the anvil remains. The skeptic's gone. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. It's His word, an eternal word. So He built the universe and He's built the Bible. He's building individual Christians. Building up yourselves in your most holy faith. He's building a place in heaven for you who are saved. John 14:2, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. John 14:2. He's building a city. It's called the New Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21 tells all about that beautiful, wonderful, heavenly city. And he's building his church. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A carpenter. Why was Christ a carpenter? Because he built all these things, and he is building all these things. Architects, excavators, those of you who have had a part in this edition, block and bricklayers, Carpenters, plumbers, electricians, roofers, painters, decorators, landscapers, inspectors, bless their hearts. <laughs> From time to time, a church should be evaluated, not only physically and materially, but it needs to be evaluated spiritually. So the Lord evaluates the building and the builders. And there's an example of this in Revelation chapter 1 through 3 where the Lord Jesus evaluated seven churches. All by name. Most of them in what we know of as Turkey today. And they were his churches and he has a right to evaluate his church. And his churches. And we have a responsibility to make corrections where corrections are needed. Maybe you could turn with me to the Old Testament and the second to the last book in the Old Testament. In the book of Zechariah. And we just look for a moment at Zechariah chapter 4. It's easy to find. Second to the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the house. His hands also shall finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with the seven. 
And we'll stop reading there. They shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. We would call it today the plumbob. Those of you who are carpenters. And the context here is the beginning of the second temple. One had been destroyed, but Nebuchadnezzar and then the children of Israel built another one under Nehemiah, Israel, Nehemiah. Zechariah was a part of that. Zerubbabel. And so the thought here is to start right. And to stay right and to correct the wrongs in the building of the church, in the building of that second temple. If something is out of line, because there's the plumbob, the plummet it's called here, to make a straight line down the walls, to make sure it's done right, and to correct the walls if something is out of line. And note some things about the right kind of church as we think of Friendship Bible Church. The church is Lord. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18 says unto him, Christ Jesus, be glory in the church. Colossians 1.18, unto him be glory in the church. The church is Lord. Christ is the head of the church. And he calls and ordains men to carry out his plan for the church. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, which we read, Christ is the head of the church. He is to have the preeminence. That's the word that's used, the preeminence. That in all things Christ may have the preeminence. Not the pastors. Not the singers. Not the teachers, not the musicians, not the deacons, not the ushers, all of which are called of God and blessed and used of God, but none of which are to have the preeminence. Christ is to have the preeminence, Colossians 1.18, in His church. We read in... Third John, the third epistle of John of a man by the name of Diotrephes. And maybe you know Diotrephes. Several people are named. Gaius is named and Demetrius is named. Wonderful servants of God. Diotrephes, it says, this is what it says of him. He loved to have the preeminence. Sometimes... <coughs> The church would like to have had so-and-so come and preach. Diotrephes said, no way. And by the way, John, the apostle, was quite a courageous man. This is all in Third John. It's only one chapter. John, the apostle, said, wait till I come. I'll take care of him. He wanted the preeminence. He wanted the glory. To Him, to Christ, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.21. And we've come away maybe from Zechariah, but in chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, He, Christ, shall bear the glory. God's people said, Amen. Christ shall have the preeminence. 
Thank God for the workers. Thank God for those called of God. They're important. And the Lord rewards his servants. But in all things, he shall have the preeminence in the church. To him be glory in the church. So we have the church's Lord. And secondly, we have the church's listeners. In Revelation chapter 1, and those first few verses, verse 3 and verses 10 and 11, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Seven times. Jesus evaluated the churches. He wrote to the churches. John, write. And the churches are named by cities. Some churches, and so we have the record, we have the writings, we have the letters of Jesus Christ to those seven churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the... These are letters. John, write it down. And send the letters to those churches, each one. Some are telling people today not to bring their Bibles to church because it intimidates the lost. Well, thank God. (laughs) The Bible intimidates the lost. It brings you under conviction. We're people of the book. And we ought to bring our Bibles. We ought to bring it in our heads and in our minds, but we ought to bring it as a testimony. This is the book that we follow. And all of God's people said? The church's listener. Listeners. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 Death, hell, judgment. The Bible is a testimony. It's preached from the pulpit. And we need to hear not a book report, but a Bible report. I like to hear an amen every once in a while. You can say it's okay. I'll pay you on the way out. The church is Lord. The church is listeners. The church's learners. Second Peter 3.18 says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll learn something every time we come to church. And every time we're together. About our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. About His church. About His past, His present, and future of His plans. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. 2 Timothy 2.15 And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.15 Thank God for nursery workers. For preschool workers. Toddlers, workers, 
primary workers, junior church workers and junior Sunday school workers, junior high and high school teachers, college age teachers, adults, the church's learners. There's a reward there. As you plant the word of God and the seed of the word of God in the hearts of those young ones. And for teachers, it's in the home, moms and dads and grandparents and great-grandparents. My wife taught me the scripture shortly after I was saved, immediately after I was saved at the age of 20. My wife, who knew so much of the Bible from a child... would take the Bible and teach me. We'd stay up all night sometimes, almost all night, and and just learn the Bible. I learned it from her. I learned it from the janitor of the church where I was saved. You know what he said to me? I was saved on Easter Sunday, 1954. First time I ever entered that church. Christened as a baby. Uh, by my parents in another church, confirmed in that church. And um, as a youngster, grew up in that church, uh, went to Sunday school, gave the junior high teacher fits. I know that, as did the other kids. And, uh, but, but I wasn't saved. And I'd never heard the word before. And my parents were wonderful parents. I was an only child. but And they would take me to Sunday school and church and, and go often. But, but I wasn't saved. And then I went, my wife said to me one time, my mother's found a new church and I went there last week and I wonder if you would go with me on Easter Sunday. And I said, sure. And so I went to this new church. I'd never been in it before. Probably a thousand people there that day. And the pastor preached. And I was brought under conviction, and uh, which I may refer to in a minute. But and, and I was saved that day. Trusted Christ as my Savior. Was born again. Was saved. I was baptized that night. And after I was baptized, I went to my seat on the last row of the building, sat next to my wife. She turned to me and she said, there's a man who wants to see you after the morning service. He wants you to be the assistant superintendent of his adult Bible class. This is a true story. Now, he didn't teach the class, but he had a young married class, 18 to 35. He's the janitor of the church. The service was on a radio broadcast. <coughs> and uh, the pastor taught it. And, and I was surprised at that. Afterwards, he came to me after the church service. He said, my name is Leland Lloyd. He was a janitor. I didn't know that. But he, my name is Leland Lloyd. And I will be by tomorrow night 
and pick you up at 6.30 and we will go visiting people and telling them about the gospel. He didn't wait for a reply. And at 6.30 he came and picked me up and he taught me from day one of being a Christian what it was. And I would listen to him as we'd go into homes and visit people and he'd give them the gospel and tell them how to be saved and so forth. One day I said to him, would you let me say something? I'm just saying the church is learners. And we learn. Because we're newborn babes. We desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Thank God for the teachers. I hasten on, we're almost done. The church's life. In Revelation 3, 1, Jesus said, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. The Sardis. That group of people. You, you a lot of activity in your church, no spirituality. Three friends. This is a joke. Let you know this. But three friends from a local congregation were asked, When you're in your casket... And friends are walking by and they're mourning over your death. What would you like for them to say about you? And uh, one said, well, I, I guess I'd like folks to say, well, you know, he was friendly and he's kind. And, and, and so what would you like folks to say about you? And he said, well, I, I'd like for him to say charitable and. And he was hospitable. And, and then to the third one, he said, what, what would you like folks to say about you when they're walking by you there in the casket? He said, I'd like for them to say, he's moving. <laughs> the church's life, activity, spiritual life, and fervency is the church's labor. 1 Corinthians 15:58 Therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord Jesus did his greatest work his greatest work in the last days of his life did wonderful things multitude healed many fed many but his greatest work in his death on the cross. And his resurrection. And return. And meeting with people. To and especially on the Emmaus Road. And teaching him what the scripture says about himself. And then being seen of many. And of five hundred at one time. In his ascension. In which people saw him go into heaven. He did his greatest work in his last days. And as I said in the Sunday school hour today, one man said, I'm going to eliminate from my vocabulary the words, at my age? At your age, and it may be aged, you may do your greatest work 
People have a way of listening to people who've been over the road. The church is learners. The church is labor. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Noah did his greatest work at the end of his life. And by the way, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, who built the ark, they didn't do it alone. I'm sure they had a lot of help. They were called Noah's helpers. They helped to build the addition to the church. But they never entered the ark. They were never saved. How you appreciate those who come. Maybe a wife comes to the church, she's dedicated, her husband comes and helps. But he never enters the ark. Nehemiah did his greatest work at the end of his life. And he said, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Would you bear with me a moment? The church's love. First John 4.19 We love him because he first loved us. First love. Love at first sight. My wife fell in love with me. I fell in my love. In love with my wife the first time we saw each other. And next month, we'll celebrate 65 years. And she's keeping me, she said. (laughs) And met Jesus Christ 61 years ago. Love. The church is love. We're to love the brotherhood. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, I love the brethren, but during those saints. And we remember, we're not perfect either. None of us are. And yet we're to love the brethren. And the church is longing, looking for his blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. The builder. Why was Christ a carpenter? He's a great builder. And maybe your house is in a shambles. Or disrepair. Let Christ rebuild it. Or maybe build something brand new. Your heart and your life. Maybe you think it's in pretty good shape. And you don't need the Lord. But one day it will come crashing down. Unless you have Christ. Two things and I'm done. I wasn't saved as I stood there in church that day. In 1954. I heard the message. I heard about a man who had come that day from the pastor. He's telling this in the invitation. 26 years old from Tennessee. Pastor's telling the story. And I'm standing with a thousand people or more, and, and I'm listening. And he said, he raised his hand for prayer that he wasn't saved. 
But he said he didn't come forward in the invitation. And I met him at the door afterwards. And I said, I, the pastor said, I noticed that you raised your hand for prayer. But yes, he said, I did. I need to be saved, but not today, but I intend to be. And he walked out the door. And the pastor said, that was one week ago today. He said on Monday morning, this last Monday morning, he was welding on a barrel in the Napco Detroit Company and Telegraph Road in Pontiac, Michigan. I was familiar with that place. It blew up and burned him to death. Now, I don't know whether he had a chance to be saved or not between Sunday and Monday. Maybe he did. I hope he did. That's how suddenly it was taken out. And I thought to myself, if that was me, I'd have been in hell. I know I'm not saved. I still didn't know what to do. Invitations were brand new to me. I'd never even seen one before. I didn't know what to do. But there was a man sitting three doors, three seats behind me. He later told me I never spoke to anyone in my life about Christ, even though I was saved, he said. But I noticed you raised your hand. And he came over out of his seat and down the aisle, the invitation, and put his hand on my shoulder. And I said, he said, I know that you, you raised your hand for prayer. I'd be glad to go down with you. And we can see the pastor. I said, okay. And walked down the aisle and the pastor said to me, you know what he said to me? First thing that came out of his mouth. Charles, I've been praying for you this week. I didn't know him, didn't think he knew me. My wife, who had been there the week before, asked him to pray for me and said, would you go and visit him? And my wife's plea to the pastor to come and visit, and he said, not this week. You go home and live for Christ before him, and let's see what God does. And then I was led in the prayer room. And came to Christ. Oh, why was Christ a carpenter? He built the plan of salvation and he builds Christian lives. He's building a home for you. He has a place for you in heaven. I hope you inhabit it. If you're not saved today, best thing you can do is just slip out of your seat and come right down here to front. Someone will show you how to be saved. Someone called me this week and said, would you make a visit in the hospital? This, this girl, she's actually older than a girl, <clears throat> I think maybe is saved. She says, I talked to her about the Lord, but I don't know for sure, and she's dying. So I went to the hospital, and I didn't know what to say. I went to the room, and here are signs up here, and here's a curtain around her, her, her bed, and I couldn't see in there. And it was a critical situation. And I walked in, and there she was, sitting up in her bed. Looked like she'd been in an accident. Just Her face was just torn up. She had cancer. I didn't know that. She had cancer. She had heart disease. She was 49 years of age. She's going to die. I didn't know what to say for sure. And so I stood there a moment, and I said, I, I have a verse out of the Bible I want to give you. She t- 
took a pad of paper sitting up in her bed. She took a pad of paper up and, and began to write. And this is what she said. I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. And she smiled. And all of this illness, and all of the maybe the last hours or days of her life, unless God intervenes, she said, I've accepted Jesus Christ with a smile on her face. Can you say that?